0: you'll all join me in prayer. Almighty Father, our gracious eternal creator, how magnificent you are and how powerful is your message that we can be part of your kingdom one day if we remain faithful to you. It's the message that was learned, studied, and revealed in the patriarchs of old and in the apostles and disciples, your people in the New Testament as well. We thank you for guiding us, for showing us your ways. May we continue on as we grow, live in your word. We thank you for the many who have come to a knowledge of truth that we might also reach to many more for your honor and glory. We pray that you'll be with us now in this service and beyond that we would, from this time, develop a closer relationship with you through what we do here and the praises we sing. And in Yahshua's name we pray. Hallelujah, you may be seated. Welcome to all those that we haven't seen for a while, friends and brethren, it's great having you here and I hope you all feel welcome to Yahweh's Restoration Ministry. You know, when When I was a a young lad my uh, father took me out on a fishing boat on that lake you're looking at right there one early summer morning the lake was classy just like it is there we made a little wake and we headed toward that big mountain there and I looked up we finally ended up at the very base of that mountain. I looked up at that 13,000 foot peak. And I remember the words of the Psalm 84, kept going through my head. What is man that you are mindful of him? It was one of the most humbling and awe-inspiring events of my life. And I'll never forget it. I felt the majesty of Yahweh and there I was in total awe in the face of his magnificent creation. When we contemplate the wonders of creation, I mean, really look deep into it, really analyze it, pick it apart, see the different aspects and how they all fit and work together. When we see Yahweh's hand in everything, it just astounds us. And that's what I want to talk about today. Although it's popular for arrogant Academics to poo-poo the fact that a creator created this universe and them. Some of history's greatest scientists agree, agree that a creator created this world and this universe. You don't hear much about it from the academic side. They're not going to tell you that such and such a scientist believes in creation, at at least not willingly. Well, Isaac Newton was one of those intellectual giants. You don't always hear a lot about, but this guy was amazing. He was amazing. He was an intellectual giant. He's even been called the father of modern science. He was a key figure in the scientific revolution, no less. You remember him, the fellow that was sitting out in the garden and an apple falls from his tree. And from that, he develops the uh, study of gravitational force The man was nothing short of amazing. He was a genius. He wrote many publications that still hold true today. He was a mathematician, a physicist, a chemist, an astronomer, an author, and yes, even a theologian. He virtually invented the science of physics. He discovered the law of gravitational pull, formulated the basic laws of motion. He was a developer of calculus because geometry and algebra weren't powerful enough to deal with such things as motion and acceleration. He made the first precision telescope and his mirror lenses are still used today. Nassau still uses the mirror optics that he invented. He fine-tuned understanding of the nature of white light and refined the knowledge of variable rates of heating and cooling of objects. In his role as a, I think was a director of the British Mint, he created or invented the raised edges on coins to to, uh, stop the counterfeiting that many were doing by shaving off parts of the coin and the edges so they could uh, harvest the uh, silver from it. In addition to his inventive genius though Sir Isaac Newton was also a Bible believer who knew the scriptures were Yahweh's very word although the law of motion and gravitation became Newton's best known discoveries he warned against using these things as a mere machine to explain creation he uh, He said, gravitation or gravity explains the motion of the planets, but it cannot explain who set the planets in motion. Yahweh governs all things and knows all that is or can be done. He rejected the Trinity doctrine, and therefore, some called him a heretic. There's nothing new under the sun, is there? In the 1700s, people thought the apocalypse was imminent. So our scientist slash theologian did a study. He went to the book of Revelation, the book of Daniel and biblical chronology and concluded that the world would not end before the year 2060. Quite insightful for a man that lived 350 years ago, wouldn't it? Newton was convinced that Yahweh created the universe with a mathematical structure and our minds to understand that structure. The precise order of this world and the design of the universe spoke of Yahweh's awesome majesty and wisdom. Paul wrote of it in Romans 1.20. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and majesty, so that they are without excuse to believe in evolution. You have no excuse because you've really got nothing there the miraculous and endless complexity and sophistication of creation from our own bodies to the heavenly bodies speaks of Yahweh's design Yahweh's power and majesty makes blind chance evolution not only impossible but totally ludicrous Newton knew that nothing can come into existence apart from Yahweh he understood that the greatness and power of Yahweh is beyond our finite comprehension he said I must confess to a feeling of profound humility in the presence of a universe which transcends us at every, almost every point. I feel like a child, he says, when he studies this, who, while playing by the seashore, has found a few bright colored shells and a few pebbles, while the whole vast ocean of truth, the whole vast ocean of truth stretches out almost untouched and unruffled before my eager fingers the scripture talks a great deal about the majesty of Yahweh King David understood it in his psalms he always refers to Yahweh in those terms how great he is sometimes he wonders how come you're not doing more for me but that's just, his, that's just human nature you know we always want something extra something more But he loved Yahweh and Yahweh loved him. He was of Yahweh's own heart. And that made all the difference in the world. His Psalms cry out a deep love for Yahweh. Let's face it. Most people today and down through history don't obey Yahweh because they do not fear Yahweh. Bottom line. To many, he's just an amorphous cloud. He's a caricature of father time with a long beard, holding an ancient sigh. That's what they think of when they think of Yahweh. Most never stop and seriously appreciate his breathtaking power and mind-blowing magnificence far beyond anything we could ever understand. We see through a dark glass. We humans are... Small and finite, and we think finitely. We, we can't comprehend infinity, eternity, omnipresence, omniscience, and no beginning or ending. We can't. We, it's, it's beyond us. It isn't in the realm of our limited physical minds. We don't think outside the box because we're living inside the box. We're hamstrung by a fleshly existence on a physical planet with boundaries and limitations we just can't go past. And that's why we don't understand him. He's outside of time. He's outside of time. He doesn't live in time. So a pre-existence, you know, there's nothing that says at one point he was made. We live in time. We have to have beginnings and endings. He's beyond that. He doesn't live in time. Hard to understand, but that's the truth. Hasatan could bamboozle Eve by igniting her imagination and her desires, to go about an existence she had not heard of or even understood. And she wanted it. Take a bite and you can be immortal and powerful like Yahweh. Yahweh gave us limitations just as we put limitations on a toddler to keep him safe. Can you imagine if we all had the power of Yahweh? Can you imagine? Can you imagine if Satan could replicate How many would be in his service? How many demons or whatever you call them, devils, would be working for him if he could replicate? He can't. Angels can't either. We can. That's an amazing gift he gave us. We can have offspring. We can duplicate ourselves through our offspring. Psalm 33 tells us to fear Yahweh. The earth is full of Yahweh's presence at the beginning of spiritual growth and life begins with him we are less than a molecule really in his sight but in his heart you as a believer are the cream of the crop you are the believer are the ultimate of his creation but sometimes we don't see that You have far greater and far grander existence in his sight than the biggest star there is. You know, our sun, I I was amazed at this one time. I was reading about it. One million earths can fit in our sun. And our sun is just an average star. I mean, there are are stars so big, a million suns could fit inside of them. It's just amazing. The universe is created. But... We to him is like comparing your child to your car. You know, you might have a passion for your car, maybe you like the vintage or whatever, but nothing, a car can't love you back. You have grand hopes for your child to have a good life, a good future with lots of blessings. Yahweh wants you to have the same thing, a perfect eternal life with him, but it's up to you. It's up to you, it's up to each one of us. Your decision and actions have eternal consequences. Now, today, we're here every Sabbath and feast to worship Yahweh. And then look at his magnificence and learn more about him. And to learn of the love and passion he has for his people. He showed us the very way to be like him. He did this by sharing his code of ethics. Known as his laws. The ethics he lives by. You do the same. You can be like me. This is what I want you to do. He sent his son to show us the way in case we don't quite get it. We can't quite understand it. When he gave his laws at Sinai, Israel didn't get it. Many of them thought it was a chastisement or a penalty of some type or, you know, from a demanding, mighty one. Instead of his priceless gift to them, a code, a track to run on to be like him if you will worship me. You know, there are avenues to knowing the mind of Yahweh and finding salvation, and he gave them to us. Yahweh gave this awesome gift because he wanted Israel in his kingdom family one day. He wanted all of us to be in that kingdom family. He said he wishes no one could not be saved. He wants everybody to be saved. I once heard a radio minister expounding on living righteously, and then ever so quickly, as they all do, he gave a, gave a disclaimer. He said something like this, quote, "'Now this is not to say that how you live "'determines whether you will get to heaven, "'but living sinfully will earn you a ticket to hell.'" Think about that. Okay, so living righteously doesn't matter. But living wrongly really matters. (laughs) Doesn't it amount to the same thing? Doesn't it? No matter how you slice it, he wants you to live righteously for salvation. There's no in-between. There's no Laodicean attitude in that. You can't be lukewarm. Obedience has nothing to do with salvation. That's the message hammered over and over and over again from pulpits across this land, actually around the world. We hear it all the time. The upshot, aside from being totally wrong, is that lawless teachings produce a lawless individual and a lawless culture. Cause and effect. Trashy movies and videos lead to illicit behavior in the culture. Cause and effect, especially among the youth. No genius needed here. No Isaac Newton required to figure that one out. Just observe and see what happens. People copy people. Copy what they do. People are doing something wrong. That that eventually kind of bleeds into the rest of society. Movie stars and rock stars start a fashion trend that rockets through the culture and pretty soon everybody starts dressing like that. That's the way it goes, cause and effect. Yahshua, among so many other things, was a channel for his father's teachings. He said plainly and clearly my doctrine is not mine but his that sent me oh he came to change everything his father's old hated laws he's gonna throw them out that's what they say they just said my doctor isn't mine it's his who sent me so he came to set an example not a different teaching that changes all the rules Matthew 19 16 behold one came and said unto him good master what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life and he said why are you calling me good there's none good but one That is Elohim, but if you will enter into life, very simple words, three words, keep the commandments. 99% of today's preachers will never quote or even whisper that verse, not even in private. They become catatonic in light of that verse. They fall out of their pulpits by that verse to say we must obey the one we worship. You know, take a pagan, any, any era, take a pagan. What do they do? They do what their deity, wants them to do right no no problem they don't have problems seeing that but for some reason Christianity has a problem with obeying the one they worship it's all rebellion that's all it is people don't obey the scriptures because they don't fear yahweh it's as simple as that simple as that it all boils down to a high regard for self and a low regard for yahweh Pro, uh, Proverbs 1.7 says, the fear of Yahweh is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. There it is. There's the definition. All you need is to see Yahweh's power operating in your life to know that he is there and that he lives. I'm sure we've all had the experiences. Man, Yahweh had to have been there to stop that accident I was about to have. He had to be in control. One of the most decorated American soldiers of World War I was a man named Alvin York. He received the Medal of Honor for leading an attack against over 160 enemy soldiers with only a few men. It was so over-the-top miraculous that they actually made a movie about this crack-shot Tennessee farm boy. I remember I was reading about him. We were at the feast uh, a few years back at uh, near Pall Mall, Tennessee, I was reading the account of him and I was just bowled over. It was the 8th of October, 1918 and another wet and foggy morning in the rugged Argonne forest in France. At precisely 6, 10 a.m. the battalion attacked. The mission was to take the German uh, Coville rail. This would force the Germans out of the forest. The attack took York's battalion Up a funnel-shaped valley, on the sides of the valley were steep ridges manned by German machine guns and troops. And as the Americans advanced, they encountered intense German machine gun fire from left, from right, and from the front. As York recollected, the Germans got us, and they got us right smart. They just stopped us dead in our tracks. Their machine guns were up there on the heights overlooking us and well hidden, we couldn't tell for certain where the terrible heavy fire was coming from. And I'm telling you, they were shooting straight. Our attack just faded out. And we were there lying down about halfway across the valley and those German machine guns and big shells getting us hard. The enemy fire took a heavy toll. Some, something had to be done. And so uh, a Sergeant early said, he'll take his troops and so a few uh, squads of men that attacked the machine guns. Well, while he was doing that, they started getting fire and uh, a bunch of them got killed by machine gun fire as well. Alvin York was there uh, and these guys that that did get up there, this other uh, commander uh, had prisoners there, but uh, he lost them when they got, half of them were shot six Americans, and three wounded. So the loss of the nine put Corporal York in charge of eight remaining U.S. soldiers, eight, to guard the prisoners. York worked his way into position to silence the German machine guns. York said, and those machine guns were spitting fire and cutting down the undergrowth all around me, something awful. And the Germans were yelling orders. You never heard such a racket. In all your life, I didn't have time to judge behind any tree or dive into the bush. As soon as the machine guns opened fire on me, I began to exchange shots with them. There were over 30 of them in continuous action. And all I could do was touch the Germans off just as fast as I could. I was sharpshooting. I don't think I missed a shot. It was no time to miss. All the time, kept yelling at them, come down. I didn't want to shoot any more than I had to, but it was either they or me. And I was giving them the best I had. One of York's German prisoners, uh, First Lieutenant Vollmer, emptied his pistol trying to stop York. Failing to injure York and seeing his mounting losses, he offered to surrender the unit to York, which was gladly accepted. By the end of the fight, York and his eight men marched 132 Germans. Prisoner back to the American line. York was promoted to sergeant and awarded the Medal of Honor. Three months later, Sergeant York and his uh, division commander, General Lindsay, toured the site where York captured those 132 Germans. General Lindsay said, York, how did you do it? How did you do it? York responded, Sir, It is not manpower. A higher power than manpower guided and watched over me and told me what to do. And the general bowed his head, put his hand on my shoulder, and solemnly said, York, you are right. Alvin York reflected later, there can be no doubt in the world of the fact of that divine power being in that. No other power under heaven could bring a man out of a place like that. Men were killed on both sides of me, and I was the biggest and most exposed of all. Over 30 machine guns were maintaining rapid fire at me, point blank, from a range of about 25 yards. When you have the Almighty behind you, you can come out on top every time, he said. When Hezbollah were firing rockets into Israel, remember? They were firing thousands of rockets from Israel, and they couldn't understand. Rockets were going, hmm, and landing somewhere else harmlessly. They were amazed. One missile after another. Take a sudden dive. The Six-Day War was a miracle itself. I remember listening to the news then. And I was just amazed that little Israel, little bitty Israel, was taken one Arab army after another. Surrounded by big Arab nations. Within a week had defeated them. Yahweh's hand was in it. It wasn't just manpower but Yahweh's power we can also see Yahweh's power majesty right in front of our eyes each day literally literally let's talk about your eyes eyesight is a miracle that only a great higher power could devise and create the eye is among our most valuable organs without it we'd lose a very important sense the sense of sight. We see with our eyes, light rays are changed into electrical signals sent to the brain. The brain interprets those signals as visual images. The eyes are just the camera, it's your brain that sees. Did you know you see upside down? Because of the law of physics going through a lens, the image is flipped onto the back of your eye. It's upside down. The brain just flips it right back up. By the way, how did it know to do that? How did it figure that out? Everything involved in vision is extremely complicated and nothing but miraculous. Anyone who thinks the eye can develop all by itself by freak chance is totally delusional. I'm not talking about just this. All the systems in your, in your body that work to make who you are, make you functional as a, as a human being, are miraculous if you stop to think about it there's nothing but intelligent design behind you Yahweh calls evolutionists fools thinking they are wise they become fools he says in Romans one twenty two. have you ever thought about the staggering miracle of being able to see let alone all those other amazingly complicated and coordinated ways our bodies function the eyeball. First we see a protective cone-shaped cavity in the skull called the orbit or where your where your eye sits. That's the place to go, it can't just hang loose. So it's gotta be stuck in your head. That's the orbit. Layers of soft fatty tissue surround it, not only protecting it, but giving it a way to, to move without abrasion. So you can look like, right, left, all that, right, up, down. Uh, and then it has six, six muscles attached to it. Now, stop and think. How did the eye figure out, okay, I got to be in a head and I got to be able to move. So I've got to have six muscles attached to the eyeball, sides, up, down, so we can move, you know, every which way. How did the eye figure that out? Well, the scientists, evolutionists, I shouldn't They're not really scientists. Evolutionists say, well, it took just billions of years. It figured it out over billions of years. Uh Uh-huh. How did it take the eye to blindly realize it needed such support and protection for the delicate eyeball? And how did it figure out just how to steer the eyeball by muscles? And how do those muscles know what to do? What signal goes to them so they can pull it one way or the other? How do they know that? Ask your friendly evolutionist to explain that. The most important parts of the eye are the iris, the cornea, the lens, the retina, the conjunctiva, the uh, macula, and the optic nerve. All are necessary for sight. All need to be in place and functioning at the same time, or you don't see, or you don't see well, or you're limited in your sight. The complicated things, a million, really, I mean, it, it just it just blows your mind, and, and just to have one of those things develop is so complicated uh, millions of years couldn't even begin. I won't go through all the all the different uh, each what each one does. The cornea is is pretty important. Uh, the front of the eye that light has to go through you know and then go to the pupil, which is the lens, and then uh, uh, part of the lens, and then uh, the mascula, the small specialized center area uh, responsible for for acute central vision. Then you got the retina, the thing at the back of the eye. This is the film, you might say, in the back of your eye. So the light goes through all these things and then hits that at the back. Then there's a nerve called the optic nerve that takes that signal, transposes, transmits the light energy to electrical energy, goes to the cerebrum of your brain, part of your brain that's made to see. Very complicated. Then you got the vitreous, the transparent colorless uh, stuff like gelatin, that fills your rear two thirds of your eyeball between the lens and the retina. Question, after looking at the eye, how it's made and it functions, how did blind chance make it all come together to make vision? And how long would that take? And how did it know that each part would be needed and how it was being needed and how to design that part that's needed? And how did it understand the sciences that make it happen? A plan that had to be in place beforehand, a goal, and that requires intelligence and requires a mind, not nothing. It's totally ridiculous to think nothing created everything. Otherwise, nothing would happen left to themselves things deteriorate or become piles of rubble it's like piles of junk don't turn into a boeing 747 dreamliner and i don't care if you got a trillion years to sit there and watch it ain't gonna happen living organisms don't advance into more complex ones over time they just die intelligent design how did the miraculous complex brain develop to control all the bodily systems it, it does? Plus thinking and, and learning and having things that scientists can't even explain. Love, thoughts, memory, all these things. Let's focus, pardon me for these puns, it just happens. I wanna focus on some facts about the eye that any thinking person will see. I'm uh, Sorry, again. Uh, there I go again, that I could never have never could have by itself evolved, never could have done it on its own, without intelligence no thinking behind it, if just one of those complex components of the eye is off, by just a little, you don't see The eye somehow had to realize that the lens needed to thicken when looking at something close because the light waves I guess are stronger that way which it was doing uh, i'm sorry, but while I was doing it's it's trial and error the human who was not equipped to focus close couldn't see that cliff very well, and steps right over it, falls and dies end of the human race same result with a blood clotting mechanism you know the Bible says you Circumcise the child at eight days old. They found that vitamin C, kicks, vitamin K, kicks in at that point. Yeah, we designed it that way so that you won't bleed to death. You can't clot blood without a certain chemical. Let's say the first man. Let's say uh, uh, the first man that didn't have that uh, hadn't yet evolved. So when the caveman cut his hand on a sharp rock, he bled to death. End of man's evolution. How did that not happen? What came first? The eye or part of the brain that processes it? You can't have one or the other. They both have to be together. They, it can't evolve piecemeal. It has to evolve or come together, I should say, be created at one time. How come our eyeballs always stay pumped up and, and never go flat? How, how did the eye figure that out, that, that, that gel? It makes your eyeball round? How did it know that that, you know, had to be constantly replaced as it dried out or leaked or whatever? That fluid had to fill the eye or you don't see. You don't even have an eye. If it were never there. How did it figure that out? How long did it take to figure that out? And uh, how long did it take for a man to see without it? or say it's red or maybe black and not clear so light can go through it, your eye will be useless. What blind chance figured that detail out? What brainless unintelligence realized that if that fluid is not replaced and maintained at the right pressure, that we would all be blind? And what controls that pressure and keeps it right? I could ask the same question for the thousands of systems in the human body. When you talk about evolution, they ignore all the details they ignore all of that. They want to talk about the big things like uh um the grand canyon that's an that's an interesting study in itself someday we'll get into that but uh you know they they say well it, you know you don't see the fossil old fossils with new animals um, together they're all well that's not you know. Those old fossils we're seeing today at the bottom of the ocean, too. Didn't know they even existed. Coelacanth, remember that fish the guy caught in Australia? That is a prehistoric fish. How could he, how could he, where did that come from? Huh? It was there, but they built a whole science on it. Things like that. Anyway, uh, when, you, when you talk evolution, you're talking about blind development. The right hand not knowing what the left hand is doing Developed by influences acting on it, the evolutionist says. Well, what about the body's blood pressure when it increases to the danger point as our caveman is doing cardio? What happens when his blood pressure goes through the roof and all those small blood vessels explode in his body and he dies because there's nothing to regulate that? He should have thought of that, I guess. (laughs) Why doesn't high blood pressure reach the danger point and blow out because Yahweh put regulators in it. So how the body knows how to do that before the high blood pressure uh, killed it off. Whoops, too late. The questions are endless and impossible for the evolutionist to answer. He does not have a solution because he doesn't consider the details the impossible details. He's out here in the stratosphere somewhere talking about space aliens or something creating life on earth or big soups of organic stuff creating a living cell, another impossibility. Well, it's amazing that the eye thought of all these things before it started operating. Good work, I, your ignorance is just amazing. That we have real time processing of what we see. If we didn't, we didn't, we'd be in trouble. It'd be like the, the, the batter up there and the pitcher throwing the ball, and by the time you realizes the, the ball is coming, it's already in the catcher's glove. Real time processing. We couldn't drive a car. We'd have all those those near misses would all be accidents because we couldn't respond in time. All of that is part of the brain, part of the scene, part of the vision process. Split-second reaction times. We see shapes and colors, light and dark, by means of light impulses detected by what's called rods and cones. Rods for light, cones for color. And what did the eye decide? Why did it decide color is better than black and white? Why did did it decide that? What brainless conception worked there? Two days working together and... One image, I should say two eyes working together, um, give us depth of field, give us 3D. You know, if if you shut one eye, you're seeing kind of flat. Open both eyes, you see dimension, you see 3D. Why don't we have one eye like a cyclops? Why don't we have a thousand eyes like a fly? Why two eyes? Can you imagine the problems? How about buying eyeglasses for a thousand eyes? crazy medical costs are high enough but the eye is protected you know by eyelids by eyelashes uh, lacrimal glands that produce tears and eyebrows someone thought of it guess who more questions the evolutionists can't answer and the evolution of the eye how did the optic nerve know to send its vision impulses to the brain and to a specific part of the brain. How did it know that? Why not to the ears or to the heart? Why send them at all? How did it know? By sending it to a certain part of the brain, you could see. How did the cerebrum vision center of the brain even know what to do with them? These signals are coming in. What do I do? What do I do? I can't. I can't do I don't know what to do with them. And the evolution of the eye how long did it take before it became a functional organ in other words how long was the eye useless as it was developing and what happened to the person whose eyes were developing and they got blind how did i now sighted know how to pass on the miracle of vision this is one thing that that that, Evolution just doesn't understand or can't explain. When you make a change, no matter how long it takes in an organism, an advancement, so um, development or something, how does that change get passed on to the next generation? Onto the offspring? It has to do it through genetics, through DNA. How does it change the DNA? DNA just keeps replicating itself over and over. That's another, oh, that's a whole nother complicated thing. How we can do that, how Yahweh made us to be able to replicate through DNA over and over and over and over again. How does it it make that change? It has to do it again through genetics. How does it know how to do that? It's an amazing thing, this DNA, which evolved first, the eye or the muscles that hold it in place. There are over 40 parts of the eye that work together for the eye to function properly, and every one has to work. In what sequence did the parts of the eye evolve? Evolutionists can't answer these questions. They don't know. They weren't there. The eye emits tears that have antiseptic properties. So when you touch your finger to your eyeball, you're introducing bacteria and who knows what else into your eye. But your tears are antiseptic and they kill. That bacteria. How did they know that? And how did they know what kind of antiseptic to put in there? How come they didn't put WD-40 in there or something? How did it know exactly what to secrete that would kill these germs? And how did it know what germs were and that there were a danger to it? Hey, I, what's a germ anyway? How many millions of years did it take to develop that? In the meantime, all human, uh, humans that... Uh, couldn't see, still couldn't see, because bacterial infection not only destroyed the eye, but got into the brain and killed it too. Tears also, uh, tears also flush out foreign objects from the eye. How did the blind eye know how to keep clean in that way? Something gets into your eye and you tear up. trying to flush that out. How did it know that? How did it know it had, it had to have tear glands as it evolved in the rest of the parts to wash it out? They would have to be simultaneous along with the rest of the development or it wouldn't have happened. The eyebrows keep sweat from coming down into the eye. If you uh, come to Missouri in the summertime, you realize that very quickly. Sweat starts to sting and get in your eye. Eyebrows help keep it out. How did it think of that? How do they know how to fix the problem of stinging sweat? How many millions of years did that stinging eyes go on before it finally says oh oh we need eyebrows here's a major insurmountable difficulty of evolution in general dna as i mentioned dna has to be impacted before evolution can continue otherwise evolution doesn't continue supposedly how does a an improvement get from i to any other development to be able to pass on be passed on if it isn't gna or even how does it happen the deeper you probe into the ridiculous ideas that things just happen on their own and the evolutionists will invariably counter with millions and billions of years anything can happen in millions and billions of years as things developed no, <laughs> it, it doesn't work. It's impossible. It's impossible to develop. It will not happen. It's uh, our bodies. Well, creation is also just too complex. I mean, like, the, like the, the insect that relies on a certain food, like a plant, those two have to quote evolve together or the insect dies. How did that happen? It just wait around Well, I'm sure getting hungry. I gotta wait for that plant to evolve and then I can go ahead and have lunch. How did that happen? The enlightened person with his eyes wide open knows better. Psalm 145, three, great is Yahweh and greatly to be praised and his greatness is unsearchable. You cannot understand Yahweh, we're too limited. We have insights, he gives us a little bit of, you know, a little bit of perception now and then that we don't understand him at all. Just what he allows us to understand to become part of his family. This is just the tip of the iceberg of miracles that evolution can't answer. And I'm amazed when those uh, evolutions debate, debate their quote science, they never get down to the nitty gritty. They never ask the simple, answer the simple questions, the common sense questions like, how does nothing create everything? So here we are They like the wiggle room, and the wiggle room is billions and billions of years. The evolutionists can't answer the fact that living systems and their food systems had to come in existence at the same time. They can't answer the simple, logical, and uh, logistical questions when you get down to the specifics. They start with the premise of evolution and go from there when the premise itself is wrong. It's wrong, I remember I had a eighth grade teacher, science teacher. He said, oh, uh, we're, gonna, we're, gonna, we're gonna touch on evolution. Now, Evolution is no longer a theory, it's a fact. That's what he said. I wanted to pass the course, so I didn't say anything. Boy, I wanted to. I wanna say, wait a minute. <laughs> but that would take about 10 years to prove it to him because there's so much evidence there, he probably would never believe it. But anyway, um, it's amazing the premise itself is wrong Yahweh responds in Job 40 verse 2 I think the most I guess the most um, immaculate words in the Bible when it comes to this topic he says I'll praise thee for I am fearfully and wonderfully made the Hebrew says that what is made evokes fear and wonder in us Psalm 92 5 oh Yahweh how great are your works and Your thoughts are very deep. A brutish man knows not. Neither does a fool understand this. Yahweh asks the critical question of Job. At the end of Job, when he's trying to figure everything out, why I'm righteous and still receiving trouble beyond imagination. Yahweh says, who are you? Who are you, Job? Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Declare it to me. If you have understanding. Who has laid the measure thereof, if you know? Or who has stretched the line upon it? Who did the design? Who did the architectural work, Job? Whereupon are the foundations thereof fixed? Or who laid the cornerstone thereof? When the morning stars sang together, and the sons of Elohim shouted for joy, canst thou bring forth Nazareth in his season? Or canst thou guide Arturus with his sons? These are star constellations. Then in Job 42.2, Yahweh directly answers the evolutionists. Shall he that contends with the Almighty instruct him? He that reproves Yahweh, let him answer it. Let the know-it-all evolutionists answer all the millions of questions and explain all the millions of miracles and how the universe functions and is kept in order and how nature works and... Then explain how it all came to be, if you can. You can't because you weren't there, for one thing, but you can see by the creation. There is marvelous design in what we have here in this this world. They give the most harebrained response humanly possible. It all happened by itself. Because that's the only explanation they have, except maybe, you know, space aliens came and did it, started life on earth if that's the only thing they have they have nothing and that's the most ridiculous thing you could have because that's all they can conceivably have is it did it by itself i was reading uh on online i gotta go back find that website the guy was talking about how it all happened and he says something like it was a twist of natural law that brought life to this planet not anything, but law. Wow. I mean, how much more can we come up with? Yeah, law governs the universe and governs our existence, but law doesn't create matter. I don't, I don't get it. Anyway, so the know-it-alls, uh, the evolutionists, explain how it happens. By well, anything they can come up with, none of it makes sense. None of it could happen. In a billion, trillion years, it's all mindless roll of dice. Well, in a future message, I want to look at uh, the living cell and how incredibly sophisticated and complex it is. Your human cell that you can't even see, you got, your whole body is full of them, is like a little city. And it's got little factories in it that process food and all this other stuff that keep you alive, make heat, so you stay, you know, uh, that you stay warm and not freeze up. I mean, it goes on and on and on. How did the cell figure that out? How does the heart figure out how to pump blood and knew what blood was and that every cell needed the nourishment that brought by the blood. I mean, everything, all the organs, how do they all work? And how do they know how to work? It's, It's just one pile of incredible creation after another. And they just back off and say, well, it all happened through time through time. They just don't want to admit the Yahweh. And that's really the whole idea, the whole concept of evolution is they wanted to get away from creation. And how do we do that? Oh, we'll just say that things happen by themselves. We can get away from it that way. They do not want to admit a creator because they do not want to submit to him. They don't fear him. So Anyway, uh, we'll have to do that study some other time, but in something so small that you can't even see with your created eyes is the cell and all the different kinds of cells and how they work. It's just totally mind boggling. Well, I hope this has helped, pardon again, open your eyes, but uh, you know, Yahweh is magnificent and I should have showed you that slide too, but I read it to you anyway. Anyway, (laughs) it's great having you here everybody and uh, let's rejoice together in fellowship. Hallelujah.